cop who has been on paid leave for eight years is found guilty of sexual assault. Saskatchewan's government providing vacations to Calgary for anyone needing knee surgery, though you'll have to pay to get there. Chiefs from five Northwestern Ontario First Nations are kicked out of Queen's Park for being honest. The Liberals appoint a new ethics critic who happens to be related to a minister. And the bodies of six people were recovered yesterday from the St. Lawrence. Good morning. It's Friday, March 31st. Yes, that means tomorrow is April Fool's Day. Don't get fooled. It's also Trans Day of Visibility. So happy Trans Day of Visibility to you all. I'm Nora and here are your headlines. First, let's start with a very disgusting story out of eastern Ontario. Jason Redmond is an OPP officer who's been on paid leave since 2015. That's right, paid leave since Justin Trudeau became prime minister. In an article by Sabrina Bedford in the National Post, it says that Redmond was on paid leave because he was, quote, involved in a local drug trafficking operation, unquote, which is amazing. What other job could give you a paid seven-year vacation? Seven? No, eight-year vacation for doing drug trafficking. Anyway, this isn't why Redmond is in the news. I said this is a disgusting story, and here it is. It's about sexual assault. In 2017, he raped a woman who was passed out, and he filmed it. The next day, he told her what he had done and said he filmed it to, quote, prove how intoxicated she had been, unquote, and to, quote, teach her a lesson, unquote. Embarrassed, the woman said she didn't remember, and she went about her business. But then he showed the video to many people and news got back to her. Somehow the OPP found out about the video and it's not actually clear how in the article. And he was charged, but it took four years. He wasn't charged until 2021. And classically, the OPP did not make this charge public. He was convicted of drug trafficking and forging documents in 2018 and somehow still remained on paid leave for the OPP. And unlike most stories that report on cops breaking the law, Bedford lists Redmond's salary, which is a stunning $121,000 for 2021. Redmond will be sentenced on April 14th. Honestly, it's this kind of thing that really lays bare just how rotten the institution of policing is. Next, over to Saskatchewan, where Saskatchewan's government has had a slew of really genius ideas. My favorite is that they're paying WestJet to nail down a route between Saskatoon and, wait, try and guess where. It sure as hell is in eastern Canada, considering how wacky my next trip out there is going to be with the different connections I have to take. But okay, say what you're thinking aloud. Nope, it's not that. It's Minneapolis. Saskatoon to Minneapolis, that famous route. Anyway, another one of their great ideas is in the news again. The government is planning to spend $6 million to improve access to health care. But their idea of access? Well, it may as well be to send people to Minneapolis. They plan to send patients to Calgary for hip and knee replacements. And to do this, they will pay Canadian Surgical Solutions to take in the extra patients. Gosh, guys, I mean, are you not smart enough to just entice this company to set up shop in Moose Jaw or Lloyd Minister, at least? 
Not too surprisingly, Bashir Jello from QP Local 5430 is not impressed. Now, there's another catch. It isn't just that people can now get treated in Calgary, but they have to also pay for their trip. Chris Galloway from Friends of Medicare reminded the Canadian press that this will just allow the folks who can get to Calgary to get their surgeries faster. That means the ones who have the money to travel and the ability to travel will jump the line. Minister of Health Paul Merriman, who doesn't seem to understand that all of his decisions as minister are political, told the Canadian press that, quote, it is not a political decision. Now, the Canadian press does not mention that Canadian Surgical Solutions is owned by Clearpoint Health, which was founded by Dr. Mohamed Nanji. You might remember his name if you've been listening to the Daily News podcast since it started. Kim Seaver from the Alberta Worker reported at the start of 2023 that Nanji has been rewarded big contracts from the government of Alberta to do orthopedic surgeries. Nanji lobbied the Alberta government aggressively and is a donor to the United Conservative Party. Aside from all the obvious reasons for why this sucks, and really, Mo government guys, if you love them so much, just go to Alberta and beg them to absorb you as a province. I want to mention this. There's a very special listener to this podcast who's been dealing with the aftermath of hip surgery. It went well, but after a few months, she needs another surgical intervention. She's laid up until this happens. Luckily, though, she's not in Saskatchewan. Each surgery brings with it risks, and if the Saskatchewan healthcare system doesn't have the capacity to do these surgeries, how will it manage the outpatient care, some of whom might need more surgery? Are they shipped back to Calgary? Is there extra funding for the follow-ups? It's far enough if you have to drive 45 minutes down the road, but heading on a plane back to another province to get your hips re-looked at seems like impossible, frankly. I know these surgeries are all coded as being non-invasive and pretty easy. And sure, like it's not a C-section, but come on. It's not just the surgery. People also need the supports when the surgery is over. Now to Ontario, where five chiefs from Northwestern Ontario First Nations were kicked out of Queen's Park for expressing their opposition to the Ring of Fire. Annette Francis from APTN wrote this, quote, cries of opposition to developing the Ring of Fire rained down on provincial politicians in Toronto on Wednesday, unquote. They made these calls from the visitors gallery, which sits just above where politicians debate. The so-called Ring of Fire is a plan to put mining into overdrive across northwestern Ontario. It's been around for a long time, but Doug Ford has eagerly promised to make sure that under his tenure, work to start those mines will actually happen. After the chiefs yelled their opposition, the visitors gallery, quote unquote, erupted with applause in response. Francis reports that the Ring of Fire is, quote, also the world's second largest peatland ecosystem, a natural sponge that absorbs tons of carbon linked to the climate crisis and holds it. Climate scientists worry that disturbing it by either digging it up or causing it to dry out could be a disaster, unquote. I really hate how we have to always talk about leaving things the way they are in terms of like carbon capture and global warming and climate change. I mean, I understand why Francis has done this. I think it is important for journalists to just lay it out plainly. But for Christ's sakes, if at this point with knowing like what is coming for us with climate destruction and we're still like, yeah, you know what, let's just completely destroy huge parts of this country. No big deal. And then the argument is like, well, but it's carbon capture. I mean, fine, fine. has to be said, but. It's also like just we don't have to fuck everything up. Anyway, Greg Rickford, the Minister of Northern Development and a minister from Northwestern Ontario, is hoping that promising communities basic infrastructure like all season roads will be enough to convince them to sign agreements to allow access to land to mine. 
Now, this article mentions something that is very close to my heart. Francis mentions 2008, when six leaders from Kitchenameku Sibin Nunawig were jailed because they refused to allow mining companies access to their land. A KI rep was present at Queen's Park and said that the past is repeating itself. They resisted prospectors in 2008, and they will continue to. The folks who were jailed in 2008 were known as the KI-6. They were released after intense public pressure, and I was part of the group who organized an occupation of Queen's Park called the Gathering of Mother Earth Protectors. It was amazing and well-timed because at the end of the gathering, it coincided with the release of the KI-6. They were able to actually join our occupation, those of them who were in Toronto. Anyway, all power to the land defenders. Now to federal news. Remember near the end of February, I told you about the retirement of Mario Dion? He was the federal ethics commissioner. Well, yesterday, the government announced his interim replacement. Her name is Martine Richard. She is general counsel in the ethics office and has been since 2013. She's probably the natural choice for someone to hold this role on an interim basis. Except there's one tiny problem. And that problem is that the liberal pool is too shallow. Richard is the sister-in-law of Intergovernmental Affairs Minister Dominique Leblanc. Leblanc is married to Richard's sister. Unsurprisingly, the Conservatives were all over this, freaking out that a family member to the Trudeau government is serving in this role. Ethics critic Michael Barrett said, quote, The Conservatives never appointed family members to serve in the ethics commissioner role because they wanted Canadians to have confidence in their public institutions, unlike the serial law-breaking prime minister who was twice found guilty of breaking ethics laws and his intergovernment affairs minister, who now has his sister-in-law, who's going to make sure that there's no more guilty findings for these liberals. Barrett, work on your quotes. That was really muddled. The reason why I mentioned Dion in February wasn't because he was retiring. It was because he'd found a surprising number of liberal MPs in violations of ethics codes. So many that he suggested that they needed training or something to get them up to speed on what they are not allowed to do. So while Barrett is being a partisan hack, he does have a point. Liberal Mark Holland defended Richard, of course, reminding folks that she was hired while Stephen Harper was in government. LeBlanc, by the way, was also elected at that time. Richard has had to recuse herself from investigations before, which is probably the greater problem going forward. How many investigations will she not be able to do because of her proximity to the government? NDP ethics critic Matthew Green summed it up far better than Barrett, saying, quote, I think on one hand, there's nothing to lead us to believe that Madame Richard is unqualified for the role or that her previous work has been influenced by her relationship to Leblanc. But I do think that there is an issue around optics and the public perception of a possible conflict. I feel that in this climate of distrust that we're trying to fight, the appointment of a watchdog who is related to a minister that is only going to continue to drive that cynicism. But it is true that the liberal circles, just like so many circles in this country, is too small. And just to expand the circle a little bit would have been a good enough reason to have not appointed Richard. Just like with the appointment of David Johnson to look into foreign interference in elections, it's clear that liberals have no problem appointing people regardless of what perception might say. And finally, yesterday afternoon, six people, including a child, were found dead in the St. Lawrence River. The child had a Canadian passport. There's very little information about who they are or anything about why they were there, but lots of people are wondering if this had anything to do with the new closure of Roxham Road, forcing people to find alternative routes to cross the border. They were found near Aquasasne, which straddles Ontario, Quebec, and New York State, if you ever needed more proof about how fake and invented borders are. Radio-Canada is reporting that the victims were all migrants. 
It isn't clear what direction they were crossing, whether into the United States or into Canada. And the presence of one Canadian passport shows just how ridiculous border crossing politics is. That people still must cross through dangerous passages to move from one country to another, even when there's a child in the mix who has Canadian citizenship. But one thing is clear, there is fresh blood on Justin Trudeau's hands. Those are your headlines for today. It is Friday, March 31. I'm Nora. Again, it's the Trans Day of Visibility, and it definitely feels like this day, more than other years, is so important for us to be loud and to be clear about the need for justice, the need for dignity for trans and non-binary people. You know, I opened Facebook and already I saw pretty transphobic stuff coming from some family members of mine. Things are really bad out there and I think that they are going to get worse. And as they get worse, make sure that you are doing everything you can, everything you can to challenge, to fight back, to stand up for, to protect and defend our trans and non-binary siblings. And if you're listening, you're trans or non-binary. I mean, you can just hang out today. You don't have to do anything. (laughs) As I said, tomorrow is April Fool's. Don't be fooled. And it's a weekend and it's the last day of March. So I'll see you on the other side in April.